Every day, I have to make a decision. Um, sometimes this decision I have to make certainly once, maybe sometimes twice, sometimes three times, sometimes four times a day. Uh, I walk out of my house in Rannock Road, and uh, there are two ways I can head towards Hammersmith Broadway. I can turn right and walk down Rosedew Road onto Fulham Palace Road and enjoy the glory of Fulham Palace Road, um, which right now is not so glorious. Um, as I walk down that road, there are cars, there are people, there's pollution, there's the challenge of all the city. It's somewhat draining, but I eventually I make it to the tube station. Or, instead of going right and then down Rosedew Road, I can uh, walk straight out of my house down Bowfell Road. That gets me within 150 meters onto the banks of the River Thames. And then I can walk up the Thames and head my way through uh, Fulham Reach and then work through uh, Queen Caroline Estate and get to the same place. It's always a refreshing walk. It's always different. The river's different every time you're there. It refreshes me, it builds me up, it gives me life. It's probably about two minutes longer than the other walk. But the temptation every time I move out of my house is to take the Fulham Palace Road walk, even when I'm not in a rush. I'm still wondering what's going on in my head that I want to do that. But that's the way it is. One road is going to give me life, always does, and the other road is going to be some sort of challenge as I engage with it. And it's around those two ideas of, of walks and circles that I'll talk about in a minute that I want to engage with this subject of is Christianity uh, life in all its fullness. Certainly, uh, Christianity makes some big, bold statements around being alive. Uh, let me give you two of them. Uh, Jesus, I am come that they might have life and have it to the full. John on Jesus from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. So there is much in Scripture about life and the gift of life and living your life. But tonight, I want to introduce you to something that's called uh, the cycle of grace, uh, living the life that Jesus lived. Let me give you a bit of background on this. I do quite a lot of teaching. Most of it is my own stuff. Most of tonight is a mixture of all sorts of people's stuff. And this cycle of grace is certainly something that has been put together by several different people. Um, this comes out of a few years ago, probably about three or four decades ago, of uh, people trying to work out why were missionaries who were trained in this country to go to India end up in India and within about six months to a year really struggling with their own lives. 
fully trained, three years of college, three years of preparation, find themselves in India and find themselves collapsing in the pressures and stresses of India. Uh, What they were displaying, rather than the joy and life of Jesus Christ, as they would have imagined they would be teaching and living, they are more uh, characterized by exhaustion, by cynicism, by depression, and by despair. And so one theologian, Emil Brunner, and a psychologist, Frank Lake, put their heads together to try and work out what's going on here with these guys. Why is this not working out in them, the sort of life that they are now trying to introduce others to in another culture? And they came up with the cycle of grace. And it's this that I want to lead you through tonight, at least in the first part of our evening. And not least because it brings so many things together around this subject of the fullness of life in a very simple and I think very, very clear way. And uh, what they came up with was a fourfold uh, model around life and how it works. Uh, the first part, which is the simplest part, is that in every life has got uh, a every life that exists has inputs, stuff that comes into it, and outputs, stuff that comes out of it. And we all are living that pretty simple model. But they began with understanding that life begins at the place of acceptance. Now their model was built around something that is pretty important to grasp when we try and think what life is like in scriptural Christian terms. Because it is pretty easy to read the Bible and come up with all the things that Jesus told us to do and think, well, this is what I must do. This is a command. This is what I must obey. This is what I need to give my attention to. This is where my time is going to go. I'm going to live my life uh, under the command and follow obediently the paths of Jesus. What these guys did was instead of saying that's um, the way in which you live your life, they started to pay attention not just to what Jesus told us to do, but what Jesus actually did. They started to look at his actual life as he lived his life. So not just the commands that they were to receive and that we are to receive, paying attention to actually how he lived his life. And they realized that Jesus' ministry, Jesus' life, begins primarily at his baptism, begins at the place where he is baptized. And so they came up with this first idea that life in all its fullness begins in the process of acceptance begins in being accepted. Um, There are many people, leaders, I spend quite a lot of time with leaders, who I think I would describe as being exhausted, uh, cynical, uh, some depression, and some despair. And I think it's partly because we've not paid attention to what Jesus actually did, to how his life really worked. And by acceptance, I mean 
that when you're accepted, you're fully known, you're valued, you're loved, and you're in a relationship of mutual safety and trust. And at the baptism of Jesus, all of that is happening. So in Matthew eleven twenty-eight, and you've got a scripture near you, you can turn to it if you like, it describes the baptism of Jesus uh, in, in Mark 1, 11, sorry. And it says this, Jesus comes to the point of baptism, John baptizes him, uh, the spirit comes on him like a dove, if you remember that, and then his father speaks to him and says, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. You are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. And it, his bap- this is his baptismal acceptance. It's his baptismal affirmation. You are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. And then his life, in a very real sense, begins. Now he's been alive previous to this, but now in terms of his ministry and all of what's going to flow through him, this is where it starts. And I think for us, if we are going to be fully alive, in a similar way, it will be not that we just obey the commands of Jesus, but we pay attention to his life and are able to be in a place by the power of the Holy Spirit to hear those words, you are my daughter whom I love, in you I am well pleased. You are my son, you are my daughter, in whom I am well pleased. Because at that moment, Jesus' ministry takes off. It's then that he starts to encounter demonic forces. It's then that he heals the sick. It's then that the battle with the Pharisees begins. It's then that he starts to teach people how to make disciples. It's now a place where he is having impact as he's living out the reality of him being accepted by the Father. And if we are going to be alive, I think this is a critical part of what it means to have life in a scriptural, in a Christian sense. And interestingly, Jesus is accepted, and out of that, he then goes on to accept. He then starts to receive himself. So he uh, finds himself receiving uh, people around him who blessed him, people who walked with him, people who gave him hospitality, rich women who financed his ministry, um, he lives a life of acceptance. A boy comes to him with five loaves and two fishes. He accepts the five loaves and two fishes and starts to work with them. So he who is accepted now starts to accept and starts to receive stuff himself. And he starts to live out the interchange that he's having with those around him, his ministry, his life begins at his baptism. It begins at the place of acceptance. However, it doesn't stop there. Uh, his acceptance is then earthed in sustenance. And you read scripture and you look at what Jesus did and you find out that he 
uh, engaged in what I want to call sustaining practices. Things that Jesus did on a regular basis. Uh, There has to be a cooperation uh, between the provision of food and its actual consumption. Um, It's not good enough to just have wonderful food and to then go, isn't that amazing food? I've done that occasionally at Harrods Food Hall, uh, um, looking at the prices and walk out and go to Sainsbury's. um, But you have to eat it. You have to take it. You have to put food provision into practice. You've got to go through the process of this is what it means to eat. And Jesus uh, has these practices that he starts to engage with. He takes and he eats. He engages in rhythms of life. And he engages with all sorts of things that he started to do. On your tables, can you just turn to each other and just note, what did Jesus actually do? What did Jesus actually do? Just on your tables, very quickly, very briefly. Okay, um, shout out, what did Jesus actually do? He certainly did, he withdrew. Socialized, he definitely did that. Prayed, pardon? Yep, he he ate quite a lot as far as we can work out. He healed, fell asleep. He knew how to sleep, quality sleeper, Jesus. He slept in wild circumstances. Pardon? Steps, steps through storms. He taught people. Went to weddings. What was this one? He expressed love. So there's all these things Jesus did, right? All his practices. Walked with the disciples. Uh, went to weddings. Went to parties. Went to the synagogue regularly. He slept, he healed the sick, he cast out demons, he challenged the religious oppressors of the time, he loved, he engaged with families through Lazarus and Mary and Martha. He did all of these things. These were his practices. So if you pay attention to the life of Jesus, you've got two big things that are about life. Number one, acceptance. Moving in the love of the Father, hearing the love of the Father spoken over him, saying, you are my beloved son. And then that is followed by all of these practices, all of these rhythms that he engaged with. And there is a relationship between what he is, what is said of him, his position in relationship with his Father, the love he is receiving and the practices in which he lives his life. And when you look at what Scripture's saying, giving us clues as to how we get life, I think those two things are really important. Acceptance, and then entering into practices that sustain you. And I know, 
in West London, we are deeply challenged by both of those things, but particularly challenged by practices that sustain us. And maybe we'll get around to that a little while later. So acceptance, sustenance through the practices, and then significance. Um, When you look at the life of Jesus, you find out that grace flows out from him. In the middle of all of his gifts and, and wonder, this grace starts to come out of him. And he starts to display certain characteristics that are his characteristics. And these are the things that are his significance. So if you uh, read the book of John, you find there's quite a list of all the things that were significant about Jesus. Uh, You start to find out that he was an image of being the light. I am the light of the world. That he was bread that he was uh, the, the bread of life, that he was the way, the truth, and the life, that he's the shepherd and he's the resurrection. So there are all these realities. So this is what Jesus was. This was uh, the, the things that signed him out, that signified him. And when I use the word significance <clears throat> here, I don't mean sort of important. I mean that this, this in the sense that this is a sign When you look at these things, this is a sign of what's going on in this person's life. And Jesus had got these signs that were indicating as to who he was and how he worked. Uh, Those are his unrepeatable, unique characteristics of being him. And I want to suggest to you that you too have a life of significance that you too have got signs that make you you, that make you the unique you that you are. Signs that indicate, this is my identity. This is who I am. This is kind of my designation. This is where the reason why I am here. God has birthed me for this and for this and for this. It may be hospitality. It may be bearing children. It may be running a business. It may be that you're a prophet. It may be that you're a teacher. It may be that you're all of those at once. Hallelujah. You're probably then called a vicar, um, if that all gets together. Uh, But you understand, this is what my life signifies. And those three things are related. That I'm accepted, that I'm living these sustaining practices, And out of that, I start to discover this is where my significance lies. This is where my contribution will start to work. This is where I start to create the art of my life as to who I am, as to how my life works, my contribution to the planet. And you discover these things. Uh, Unfortunately, sometimes when I look at my peers of my age in this country, um, they struggle, I think particularly some men that are going through my mind right now, uh, with their significance because they've thought that their significance was rooted in their job or their significance was rooted in their education or in money making, when in fact their significance was probably something else entirely and they missed out what their sign was 
or their series of signs under all sorts of pressures. We'll get back to that in a, a little while. But here is a crucial part of the fullness of life, understanding what my significance really is. Now, I know that we're kind of British and often like to understate our significance and understate our gifting uh, and understate uh, what God's called us to be and do. But I think as you look at Jesus, there was no such understatement. There was him living out his life in all of its fullness, in all of its significance. So it goes acceptance, sustenance, significance, and then fruitfulness. Then fruit starts to appear. Um, If you understand and are able to live in the middle of the knowledge that God loves you, and you are in the process of sustaining practices that earth that love into your life. And in the middle of that, out of that, starts to come this realization, this is my significance. In all humility, this is what I am under God. This is how he's gifted me. This is what I'm to contribute. Then you have no chance other than to be fruitful. You cannot stop being fruitful. It will just happen. It will happen like rhubarb that just keeps, you try and kill it and it just keeps on coming back. It just keeps on coming back. And you start to see, uh, here is my fruit. Here is the fruit of my life. And you literally can't stop it. If the first three things are happening, then you can't stop it. However, and here's the kicker, or one of the kickers, um, you can't control where your fruit will come from. So I spend a reasonable amount of my time over the years with uh, emerging curates and and, uh, associate pastors and all of that. Um, Almost every one of them, not every one of them, but most of them have said, Viv, what I want to be is a great preacher. And I've heard them preach. And I thought, probably not, probably not a great preacher. Maybe a very good preacher and maybe an average preacher. But your gifting, your fruitfulness will lie in some other place. That you're going to be superb with the disabled. That you're going to be brilliant at pastoring people. That you're going to be outstanding in working out a social strategy. But if you want to be a great preacher, it's probably not going to happen. And you can't control the fruit if you're living this cycle of grace. But fruit there will be that will emerge from your life. I want to give you a minute's silence. And just to think through, so where am I being fruitful? Where is the fruit happening in my life? Get the question? Just a minute silence. Okay. So here we have Jesus 
uh, accepted in his baptism, sustaining practices, things he did on a regular basis, this understanding of this is where I'm significant, uh, this is where I am the light of the world, I'm the door, I'm the shepherd, of the sheep, all those images, and then fruitfulness that could not be stopped, could not be stopped. I'm probably, I've just had a little bit of a Holy Spirit moment right there. Um, I think this is crucial for this evening, that if you understand um, the path of the Holy Spirit in your own life, you need to understand that as you live this ark, then your fruitfulness cannot be stopped. Just can't. It will burst its way out in some form or other. It will show itself in some shape or other. It will emerge from your life. And you'll be able to bring contribution, the life that's in you, you'll be able to bring contribution to your church and to Chiswick and wherever else it is you live. Because the fruit just cannot be stopped if this is what's actually happening. The life cannot be stopped. So fruitfulness, uh, I think, is an indication of life. And that life kind of comes out of this cycle of grace. So that's a cycle of grace. However, there is another cycle which I want to lead you through, um, which is called the cycle of works, which is living the life Jesus did not live. And this is how this one goes. It goes anti-clockwise and not clockwise. And it begins with achievement. It begins with thinking. The way in which I will live my life is I must achieve. I must build. I must make. I must be a success. I must be seen by my peers to have done something worthwhile in my life. And you begin with achievement. And if we look at our city, then we have a city, I think, with this as a primary idea, that my job is to achieve. And it reminds me a little bit of Babel in Genesis, where people are starting to build their towers of achievement. So you begin with achievement. And it's the wrong move if you want to live Christian life. Achievement is great. Achieving something is wonderful. Uh, Getting an education, building a business, building a family, it's wonderful stuff. But if that's the beginning, it's anti-life. If that's where it starts. Because it goes achievement, and then you do your achievements and you build your stuff, and you think that out of that achievement... I will now be significant. I will achieve. I will reach my goals. I will build. And then everybody will look at me and I will be now significant. I will be something in the world. And then out of significance or apparent significance, you think that significance will sustain me. I will achieve. I will... Be significant, and then that significance will sustain me. I will be something in the world. I will have made my mark. I will be the self-made man or the self-made woman that we so celebrate in our culture. 
And this now will sustain me, this great place that I find myself in. Um, I think many people in our culture have built their lives on that idea. So why is it we are addicted to prescription drugs? Why is it as a culture that we are collapsing socially in all sorts of ways, from abuse to drug addiction to alcohol to gambling, um, because this does not sustain us. If you begin with achievement and then think I'll be significant and then that will sustain me, that won't work. And then the final part of the cycle of works, the life that Jesus did not live, is that I will then finally be accepted. That I will uh, achieve, I will be significant, this will sustain me, and then everybody will love me and I'll get life. And it's an anti-life. It's a life that works against all of what Jesus was doing and all of what Jesus called us to be and called us to do. Uh, There is a beautiful verse in Zephaniah which goes like this. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. That's very much like the baptismal, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The Lord says he will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. So let me take you back to my daily decision. As I walk out of the door, and turn right, head down Rosedew Road, and go down Fulham Palace Road. That's one way I can live my life. But it often feels like the cycle of works. Or I can go out of my door and straight to the river and walk down there, and that feels like the cycle of grace, the cycle of life. And I think culturally, we've got these two things in front of us, one path that brings us life, fullness of life, and one path that brings us a kind of slow, confusing death as a culture and as an individual. So you get men of my age pitching up to 65, and they're, they're thinking, they may be successful, they may have a yacht, they may travel twice a year on holiday, but they're thinking in their heads, what the hell happened to my life? Where did my life go? And because they've gone on cycle of works essentially rather than the cycle of grace.